By now you'll have heard or seen that I'm working with a new golf app called Tangent, who are also sponsoring this show. It's the smartest AI caddy in golf and is able to recommend not only clubs to hit, but target locations based on the math behind strokes gained and your own personal shot patterns. Unlike many other shot trackers, it also takes into account and adjusts for hazards that are out there. It has sensorless tracking with an amazing automatic swing detection that you can use with your Apple Watch or your phone without any need to buy any attachments for your clubs. And my favorite part, the post-round analysis data helps you immediately see where you can improve and gives you simple breakdowns that you can dive into if you want much more detail about your stats. It then links this data to recommendations and actual practice drills that you can use to improve. Getting measurable data for both on-course and practice drills makes Tangent one of the best game improvement ecosystems that I've ever seen. So download Tangent for free on the Apple App Store or at tangent.golf and use promo code SWEET30, that's S-W-E-E-T-3-0, for 30% off. So you'll get a free trial, and if you like it and want to continue, it'll give you 30% off a subscription. So just try it out, play a few rounds with it, and I know you'll love it. So that's Tangent, T-A-N-G-E-N-T, and enter code SWEET30. Welcome back to another episode of The Sweet Spot. This is John Sherman from Practical Golf, and as always, I'm joined by... Adam from Adam Young Golf. This episode of The Sweet Spot is brought to you by our friends at the Indoor Golf Shop. They're the place to go online for setting up a simulator in your home or your business. They've got all the major brands of launch monitors like Foresight, SkyTrack, Unicore, and FlightScope. And they make enclosures, screens, hitting mats, pretty much anything you're going to need for your indoor studio. If you need help, you can give them a call directly, talk to their experts. You can ask for Gerald or Hunter. I know they've helped plenty of other Sweet Spot listeners and they can help you decide what's going to fit in your garage, media room, and basement based on your budget and technology requirements. So thanks for their support, and you can check them out at shopindoorgolf.com. So today we have Mike Carroll from Fit for Golf. Mike is a super helpful expert in the golf fitness industry. I always follow his social media posts. I've used his app. I'm on his website. Great resource and Mike has been helpful to us. He's been a former guest on the show. And today we want to do kind of a part two of initial discussion. Adam and I had done an episode on getting ready for your next round in the terms of hitting balls and that aspect of it. But we kept <laughs> alluding to the fact that we don't want you to play golf or even practice golf without getting a proper body warm up. Perhaps a dynamic warm up would be a better term for it. And that's what Mike is here to help us with. So welcome, Mike. Welcome back. Thank you very much, guys. I'm uh, always happy to come and talk with you too. And as a side note, before we started recording, I'm going to blow you up here, Mike. He was telling us how he's about to play uh, Cypress Point tomorrow, so we expect to have photographs on Twitter. Yeah, I'll try my best. <laughs> so where do we start? We want to uh, start with overall goals. I think, you know, we got a lot of questions on Twitter. <laughs> it's the same questions we got for the other episode. What do you do if you have five minutes and you get ready for your round? I think we'll tackle that last. But what are the overall goals from your perspective as a fitness professional of getting the body ready to do any type of golf activity? 
Yeah, like I think the um, term you use there, getting the body ready, is probably a good way to look at a warm-up. That is the purpose of warming up for any sporting activity, whether it's golf or the gym or anything else that you do. Like we can't go from, you know, sitting at a desk for eight hours answering emails and jump on the first tee and swing a driver and hope that it goes well. The same for going to the range or the same for playing a -a five-a-side soccer pickup basketball game. So going along those lines of what are the goals, we basically want to take our body from the state it's currently in, whether that has been sitting down and working all day. Maybe you've been like walking around, so you're somewhat warm and have some blood flowing. And we want to progressively get our body to the point that it's ready to perform at its best possible capability. That's what warming up is in a nutshell. And obviously for your listeners and for my line of work, it's going to be how do we do this specific to the sport of golf? So if we look at the demands of golf, what goes in in the game? really comes down to two basic things. We walk and we swing. Walking doesn't require much of a warm-up. We can jump out of bed and do that, no problem. But obviously, swinging is something a lot different. That's an activity that we don't really get any, say, practice at or any progression of during the day that's going to get us ready to do it when we want to play or hit balls. So when we talk about warming up for golf and especially warming up the body, the swing is what we're thinking about. And if we then look at the golf swing, especially if we consider longer shots, it is a very short duration, high speed and high power activity. So the golf swing takes about one second. And most of us are trying to produce quite a lot of force in that one second. So that then makes it a little bit easier in terms of, well, what should I do to prepare for that activity? We know that we can't just start swinging as fast as we can. So I can't arrive to my warm up or to my round of golf for my practice session, take out a club and just start swinging it as fast as possible. So what we want to do is I break it into kind of two sections. I would say we want to start general in terms of we want to get our body warm, which is pretty simple. We want to get our heart rate up. We want to get our body temperature elevated. We want to get our muscles nice and warm and we want to get our joints, the main joints that are going to be used in the golf swing, the main movements that are going to be done, I would say nicely, basically lubricated and primed. And then we can go into more of a specific approach. And this sounds complex, but it can all be done in like seven or eight minutes. And that would then simply just be using exercises that are very similar to the golf swing or the golf swing itself, starting nice and slow and gradually ramping up to full speed. And you want to make sure that before you hit your first tee shot, that you've had a decent number of swings that are at the same speed or even slightly higher than you're going to be using in that round of golf. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Hey, Mike, you said something I disagree with there. You said you don't need to warm up to walk. Well, I'm getting to that age. I need to warm up to get out of bed these days. I got out of bed and I pulled the plantar fasciitis in my foot. So I need to warm up my feet when I get out of bed these days. So, uh, yeah. How old are you again? I think you're about the same age as me, aren't you? No, okay, he's not the another, same age as you. Another eight years. <laughs> you've got another eight years yeah, to get yeah. to this point. Yeah, everything starts falling apart now, Mike. What does it mean to be warm? 
So we talk about like warming the muscles up. Well, what if it is, you know, if it's Vegas and it's 120 out, do I need to do a warm up then? Or are there some other advantages of doing a warm up? You definitely don't need as much of a general warm up because the temperature outside is definitely going to make a difference. I think anybody who's played in, you know, very cold and very warm conditions or lives in a climate where they have both of those can tell the difference between when they start an activity in winter versus summer. But you definitely want to get the blood pumping to the muscles that you're about to use. And you definitely want to prepare the muscle tissue and the tendon, which is the connective tissue, for the contractions that are about to take place. So if we think about what happens in a golf swing, like we know that muscles are stretched very quickly in the backswing and in transition, and then they contract very quickly kind of after the transition in the downswing when we're getting ready for impact. And we can definitely enhance our performance and reduce the likelihood of injuring something by having this progressive warm-up. And probably a simple way of thinking about it is breaking it down into a couple of really simple characteristics. You want to have, some of these can be combined, but you want to have something that, as I said, raises the body temperature, gets you a little bit out of breath, gets you slightly sweaty. You want to have something that is mobilizing the main joints and movements that are going to be used in the golf swing. And then you want to have something that's priming you for the activity. And where that becomes important is actually thinking about the speeds and efforts you're going to be moving at. So you might start with something. I generally start with something that is like mobility based. So I might do some very basic like spine, hip, shoulder, neck, mobility type work, just like basically circles, just working on rotations at my hips, my shoulders, my neck. So that will get the main joints mobilized. Then to do something that gets the body temperature warmed up and the muscle tissue a little bit more primed for activity, I do simple bodyweight exercises, things like squats, lunges, lateral squats, some repeated toe touches. For the upper body, you can do simple things like literally like a few push-ups. If you have some bands, you could do some band rows or overhead presses and things like this. And then the final stage would be things that either are a golf swing or look like a golf swing. So if you have some bands or med balls, like if you're at home, you can throw some of those or rotate some of those. But it's really simple to just do basically progressive swings. Like you might start with five wedges, five, seven irons, five drivers or something like that, you know, or something else that I think is really nice and really convenient to put into that section would be like some step drills and stuff like that, which are getting a decent bit of exposure online at the moment, but they're really nice to get warmed up, get the body moving quickly. And then basically what you want to make sure of is either when you go to the range or if you don't go to the range, that you're pretty much fully ready for your first shot. Can you make the distinction between, you know, the stuff probably Adam and I were taught as kids in gym class and a lot of people listening to this where we just did static stretches where you're just bending over, touching your toes and, you know, the classic... Bouncing into it. Yeah, the classic static stretching. And I know... (laughs) Based on your tweets, Mike, and other research I've seen in the fitness world, there's always arguments in the fitness world. But I think the one topic I have seen quite a bit of agreement upon is that dynamic warm-ups are the way to go versus the old static stretching model. Can you just explain that a little bit, the distinction between the two for people listening? 
Yeah, well, the distinction, first of all, would be that static stretching would be holding the same position for a predetermined period of time. So, for example, if you were going to do a static hamstring stretch, you might put your foot up on front of you in a bench, lean forward, try and touch your toes and hold that same position for maybe 30 seconds. Whereas a dynamic hamstring stretch might be something like bending over to touch your toes, pausing for just one second, standing back up and repeating for like maybe 20 or so repetitions. Or it might be putting your hand on a golf club for balance and swinging your leg back and forth 15 or 20 times. And the reason why it's important to differentiate between the two and why moving rather than holding a position for a predetermined period of time is if we go back to what I said earlier about the demands of the golf swing and we're trying to get our body ready for that, the golf swing is only one second long. There's a huge amount of muscle and tendon stretching and contracting and it's happening very, very rapidly. And static stretching does not do a good job of preparing our body to do that. Like if you think analogy to say like someone who's preparing to run a 40 yard dash in the NFL combine, if they're 30 minutes before their, you know, their first run, there's not going to be much transfer from them putting their foot up on a bench, holding a hamstring stretch for 30 seconds on each side, going to the start line and sprinting as fast as they can. But if they start doing maybe some like high knees, some skips, some leg swings and stuff like this. Now their muscles are stretching quickly and contracting quickly, similar to what's going to happen when they go and sprint. And then they probably start doing some 40 yard runs at maybe 50% speed, 60% speed, 70% speed. So eventually when it's time to go, their body is really, really prepared and primed. It's basically just practiced at a slightly lower level what it's about to go and do. And if we think of what happens in the golf swing, we have a big rotation into our backswing. Then we have a quick stretch and transition. And then we have like a, basically like an unloading or an almost like explosion period as we're getting ready to hit the ball. And that's what we want to prepare our body to do. We want to get it practicing rotating in both directions. And we gradually want to ramp up the speed that we're doing it. So is there any value in static stretching or you just don't feel it's an effective use of time? So static stretching can be useful for improving range of motion, but so can dynamic mobility. I would try and get people as much as possible to concentrate on practicing the movements that they're trying to improve their mobility in, because what can happen sometimes with static stretching, especially if it's assisted, like if it's something where you are like using a towel or if you're contorting your body against like maybe some sort of like pole or support or something like that, where you're not doing the work to get into the position, you've basically used an external aid to help you. There may not be as good a transfer from something like that to an activity where you have to produce the force to get into the desired movement. So for example, if you think of someone who's trying to get a longer backswing, improve their hand path length, which, you know, you've had Sasha on, we kind of all read the same stuff. We know that can help with the time you have to produce force in the downswing and, and create more club head speed. So one example of how people could do that is they might do something like a static stretch where they put their arm across their chest, pull it in tight with their other arm, 
and hold it there for like 30 or 60 seconds or something. So that would be a static stretch. What I'd much prefer someone to do for that same goal is get something like a slightly weighted golf club or training tool and make like 15 backswings with as large a range of motion as they can, trying to go a little bit further on each one because the task is much more similar. The muscles, the brain, the coordination has much more similarities and it's likely to show up much better. Sometimes when we improve the range of motion that a joint has, the flexibility that that muscle tissue has, it doesn't automatically transfer into improved range of motion in the activity that we're looking to improve, which would be the golf swing here. So something like, I'm friends with them, I'll give them a plug. So something like the orange whip is helpful with its weight and flexibility versus just sitting there like holding a stretch. Yeah, exactly. Like this is one of the times when I think that like swinging two golf clubs can be yeah, useful. the heavier clubs. I wouldn't even say like do, you don't even have to do the full swing. I'd literally just do it as like a mobility drill for your backswing. You can look at yourself in the mirror, see if you can get your hips to turn more, your torso to turn more, your hands to move, say more around the clock, back towards the target almost. Definitely in terms of preparing for activity you want to be moving but if someone wants to do static stretching like watching tv you know in the evenings or something like that there is still value to it for sure but i would definitely separate stretching for improving flexibility from warming up and preparing for activity well, we would definitely love to do a separate episode on mobility and is that something I've been obsessed with over the last six months and you've helped me with it and it's really changed my life. So we could do a whole episode on range of motion and mobility. Yeah, what I think is important there too, though, and like this is certainly something I've noticed in the last couple of years as I've practiced and played more. I have the exact same dynamic warm-up slash mobility routine that I do basically every single day because every day I either do a workout or I practice or play and that's the same routine that I do before each one and I've noticed like no doubt that mobility has improved just because I've been doing this warm-up every day so it, it doesn't really require separate segregated mobility sessions basically which I think is is nice and it's something I was going to make sure I I kind of brought up in this podcast when I knew what the topic was if you can be consistent with, say, a good 10-minute dynamic warm-up, it really compounds over time in terms of improving mobility, which can have a massive effect on basically the quality of your golf swing. Now, Mike, I've heard that with the static stretching as well, because obviously that's what we got told when we were kids, the thing that stopped me doing static stretching was someone explained the theory that when you get to your end range of motion – in a position and you hold it you're basically telling your muscle to relax at that end range of motion you're turning off a signal in the muscle that stops it contracting from what i've heard when you do that at speed then or when you go into fast ballistic movements your muscle is then at its end range of motion and it's been told to relax before that and then it can actually tear or increase the chance of tearing so while stretching is probably good in the evenings like you said when you're not about to do ballistic movements it may even increase injury if you're about to do movements ballistic movements so or even reduce strength maybe exactly so like research on static stretching has shown that there is a decrease in power output 
in the acute phase afterwards, which is definitely a reason not to do it pre-golf. But there's also no supporting evidence for reducing injury likelihood in the next activity, basically. Dynamic movement will be much more effective. And also, if you just think about, like we go back to what's happening in the golf swing, a term for people to think of is elasticity, which is really going to be how the muscle and the tendon interact to produce movement. And when we have a very quick change of direction in a movement, which we have a lot of in the golf swing, as we basically change from backswing to transition, we have a lot of elasticity in things like the hips, the obliques, the torso, the shoulders. Well, what's happening there is that we're getting muscles and tendons that are stretching very quickly and then contracting very quickly. And we want to get as good as possible at that ability. That's why we do exercises in training where we practice this with things like rapid band work and jumping and and all those different types of activities. If we spend a lot of time holding like a, I would say a a challenging or, or end range of motion stretch in the same position, that can definitely have a negative effect on our elasticity because we're teaching our body basically something that is the opposite. Like a recent podcast that I did, it was for golfers and tennis elbow, but it, their tendon issues. So we were talking about this tendon and elasticity thing a lot. It was an episode with Dr. Keith Barr, who's one of the world's leading tendon researchers. And that was one of the big things he talked about was that people who were engaged in like very, very high speed stretch and contract activities, which the golf swing is, need to be a little bit careful with a lot of static stretching because of the changes it makes between the muscle and tendon in an undesirable way. The one he brought up, it was actually really interesting, was in gymnasts. So there's a big history or like culture of static stretching in gymnastics. Because obviously they need crazy ranges of motion for some of the moves they perform and things like this. But they also have massive landing forces when they're doing their floor routine, when they're doing their somersaults and then trying to absorb the landing. And that puts huge strain on the, particularly the calf and the Achilles. And he brought up one year how I think in the NCAA female gymnastics, there was something like 17 Achilles tendon ruptures over the course of the season. And one of the things that he said is likely a problem there is so much focus on static stretching that the muscle tendon like behavior had changed to a way that meant it wasn't quick enough and elastic enough to absorb that impact on landing. Now, I definitely don't want people to be scared of static stretching. I'm not saying that doing static stretching is going to make it more likely that you'll get injured. There is value for it for improving range of motion, but I would do it away from activity. It's not beneficial in a warm-up, and there's way better things that we can do. Mike, so you've got the dynamic movements. That's one thing. And then we've got static stretching, which we said, okay, perhaps not do the static stretching before you're about to perform. I see a lot of old dudes on the range. It's usually the older guys doing bouncing into stretches. So they get to their range of motion and then they bounce, bounce, bounce. So it's almost like touching your toes, but you're bouncing into it. Is that horrible or is that actually good? Or is is there any research on it? I'm not sure about research. I actually kind of like it though. As long as you're I would say in a position, like I'd be careful doing it in like a vulnerable position where, you know, you've had injury before, you haven't really practiced it. But the term that would be given to that is usually like ballistic, 
it's really similar to elastic, which basically means that it's like it's a quick stretch, quick contraction. And I actually really like that because that's really similar to what you're about to go and do when you swing a golf club. If you think of the change of direction from backswing to downswing, there's definitely going to be that quick change. And then we get like a big stretch up the left lat, the back of the left shoulder, like around the scapula and down into the left arm, basically. That is something, though, that I would be saying you want to make sure you're doing that when you're well warmed up. And then what's really important to consider in warm ups, too, and this will probably strike a chord, like definitely with you, Adam, but you too, John, like as a like coach and say player, is that, yes, we definitely want to get our body warmed up and ready to perform, which would be, let's say, the physical element of getting warmed up. But I think you guys have already touched on it. There's definitely a coordination element of warming up too. And that's why I think that using movements and routines that are going to be more representative of what you're about to do in the sport, in this one golf, is going to make a lot of sense. So if you can do your mobility and warm-up stuff, that's ticking the boxes I talked about earlier, like mobilizing the joints, getting the body temperature up a little bit. But you can do it in ways that are also getting your brain prepared for the movements it's going to make with your swing. That's fantastic. Like you can do things that are almost simulating like swing moves and swing drills that you're working on. Give yourself an extra chance to kind of tap into that motor program or pattern or whatever. And then when you go and pick up your golf club, you're ready for that essentially, you know, whether you practice on the range or not. Like personally, I never tend to hit balls before I play ever because I play early in the morning. So I just do physical warm up, take some practice swings and then play basically. And I don't think it is any different hitting balls, to be honest. Yeah, I've transitioned to doing a five to 10 minute mobility routine pretty much as I wait for my coffee to brew in the morning. I've kind of inserted it instead of mindlessly flipping through my phone while I'm groggy. I just do a five to 10 minute routine every morning now. Instead of watching my exercises on Twitter, you actually yeah, do Yeah, so I have a collection of stuff I've accrued <laughs> from you and other places that's, you know, my hips, my hamstrings, everything squat movements, deadlift movements. And by the end of it, I'm actually a little sweaty, but that gets me kind of going for the day. And I often feel comfortable. Like if I do play golf early in the morning or late in the morning, like I feel much better having that preparation. So if this episode is a sales pitch to the people who are just going out to the course and not doing this, is the payoff I guess it's twofold. We're talking about injury prevention and performance, like getting your body ready on the first tee to have you know, the most swing speed possible you could with your driver, the most turn, your body being loose enough to make the turn and the movements it's capable of making for the golf swing that obviously will affect your ball striking ability. But when you design your programs for golfers, is there one you're prioritizing? Are you hoping to prevent injury with this stuff? Is there evidence to suggest that with the dynamic warmups? Yeah, there's definitely evidence to suggest that like good, basically thorough dynamic warm-ups help with injury prevention. So that's definitely one. And I think like obviously research is super important, but anyone who's like partaking in any sort of semi-strenuous activity, I think has experience of rushing, skipping a warm-up and hurting something. Like I know for certain, anytime I've picked up an ache or pain or a tweak, I can usually trace it back to, yeah, that's because like I was rushing and didn't go through X, Y, or Z. There's the performance element for definite. And 
in performance element in terms of like how you're likely to play on the first few holes, but also the long-term benefits of if you can start, like if you practice a couple of times a week and play once or twice a week, well, then that's three or four times where you might spend five to 10 minutes doing a good warm-up slash dynamic mobility routine. And that's going to have compounding benefits on your mobility in the long run for definite. Like most physical qualities, if we're not doing something to work on it, unfortunately, it's just getting a little bit worse over time. So in a perfect world, I know there's no rule for everyone, but just generically speaking, if you had, let's start with the person who had, you know, in our other episode, we started with people who have unlimited time before they're around. Let's just say you're not in a rush to get to the golf course. You've got an hour. Obviously, you want to, if you can, hit balls, get the speed of the greens, you know, stuff we discussed in the other episode. But in terms of the warm up, the dynamic warm up, getting your body ready, what's like a good rule of thumb in terms of maximum time? Is there like diminishing returns? Like you don't want to sit there for an hour doing these things. Is 10 minutes or 15 minutes enough? Yeah, about 15 minutes, I'd say, is where you're going to be maxing out the benefits of what you're getting from a physical warm-up so like a you asked about unlimited time like a perfect example of that is like the pga tour players that i design warm-ups for and have gone through warm-ups with pre-round of a tournament and their routine is really nice they they do have the added benefit of having a like mobile gym on site but it doesn't change things too much so When those guys are warming up pre-round, any of the guys that I work with, they either do this at home if they don't like doing it at the course or they do it in the gym trailer. But they'll start with some of this real light, easy mobility work just to get the joints mobilized. So like the big ones are, think of spine, hips, shoulders, and neck, I would say. So things like cat-cows, like hip circles or pelvis rotations, torso twists, some arm circles, some neck rotations to get those main joints that are involved in like rotation and basically flexing and extending your spine, basically moving. Then they will do something that gets them a little bit more warmed up and the blood pumping a little bit. And that will be things like split squats, lateral lunges, some regular just bodyweight squats, some toe touches, maybe like a couple of push-ups, a couple of pull-ups or some band rows or something to get warm, to get the muscle tissue prepared for activity. And then they would all finish with what I would term like some priming work, which is basically some very high speed, low weight power exercises. We usually do one for the lower body, one for the trunk or core, and one for the upper body. So a simple example would be they might do five vertical jumps. They might do eight really explosive band rotations on each side. And they might do five like ballistic push-ups off a bench where they put their hands on a bench before they do a push-up. They go down and drive as high as they can off the bench, something like that. And they would do just three very quick rotations of that five, eight each side, five. And what's nice about that is they've now gone through their mobility, their warm-up essentially, and their priming activity. It's about 15 minutes in total. It gets them really, really well prepared for they now go to the range and start. They nearly all go wedge down through the bag. But that 15 minutes for them is being done like six times a week because they play four rounds, hopefully one or two practice rounds. And like there's no doubt that that 15 minutes is not just helping them for that round, 
like that adds up over time. So like the mobility that they've done on day one is helping them be more mobile on day two. And the priming activity they're doing with their jumping and their explosive band work and their explosive upper body work, that's helping with their power development over time. And that's all going to help with better performance and hopefully reduce the chance of injury too. That's almost a relief to hear that 15 minutes is the most you would tell even a PGA Tour player to do. No, 15 minutes, like I've been in the trailer with guys loads of times. Like I haven't strictly timed it, but yeah, like it's definitely under 20. And the only reason it would probably take 20 is if we just get stopped talking about something. But like 15 minutes, you can definitely be good to go, especially if if you have a routine like listed out and learned off. Like you can do it pretty automatic and yeah, like I would say like 10 minutes for like the first section of mobilizing the main joints and getting the body warmed up and the muscle tissue ready to stretch and contract. And then it's only like three minutes or something doing that priming stuff and that priming stuff where you're like jumping and moving really explosively that's probably the least important part of the warm up, I would say, especially for the amateur player, because like you're going doing that and then going to the range and starting with like wedge or something anyway, you know. But um, the first two parts, I would say, in an ideal situation are non negotiable. And like there is people, and there's been like, I'm sure there's been people of one major championships have done zero physical preparation before a round, just gone to the range and started hitting pitch shots with their wedge and took 20 minutes to work from like their wedges down through their mid irons, you know, which is absolutely fine if you have that amount of time. But like from kind of experience with myself and talking to others, I just notice a massive difference in essentially how good your body feels for swinging. If you've done some, like I would say, dedicated physical work first, I think you can bust through kind of like 20 or 30 minutes of range stiffness hitting balls in like five minutes of actually preparing your body what's up sweet spot listeners i am super excited to introduce a new brand we're working with gooder sunglasses i pretty much do not go outside without sunglasses on and i definitely wear them all the time on the golf course so it's a really important product for me Gooder makes $25 active sunglasses that are lightweight, comfortable, and do not move while you swing. When I first got them, I was shocked at the quality. There's no way you would know they were $25 if someone just put them in your hands. Their golf sunglasses have HD contrast, so you'll see clearly when you're on the golf course, and you don't have to worry about losing them because they don't have a hefty price tag. They have a wide variety of designs and colors that should suit just about any style you're looking for, whether it's for golf or elsewhere in your life. All Gooder sunglasses are 100% UV protective and have polarized lenses. You'll also get a one-year warranty and a 30-day window to return them for free if you don't like them. If you want to try out a pair or two, we've arranged an exclusive discount for Sweet Spot listeners. Go to Gooder, G-O-O-D-R dot com forward slash sweet spot and use promo code sweet spot at checkout and you will receive 15% off your entire order. That's www.goodr.com forward slash sweet spot and make sure to use promo code sweet spot at checkout for your 15% discount. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn jobs. 
LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. LinkedIn is not just a job board. It helps you hire professionals you cannot find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to a new perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. Also on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Just recently, they even launched a new feature that helps you write your job description, making the process even easier and quicker. And they know that small business owners like myself and Adam are wearing so many hats and might not have the resources to hire, so it's a great place to get help. Now here's what you can do. Post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. That's linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And luckily, this is the kind of stuff that you could do in the office as well. So if you knew you're finishing work at X time and you've got to be on the course straight away, you could probably sneak in a little dynamic warm up in the office before you leave work. Whereas for myself, I've got luxury of more time. So I do like an hour warm up where I go down and I do what you just talked about, more hitting balls, just starting out with wedge. But yeah, it takes me a lot of swings before I feel ready to make a full one. And, you know, I've been more recently, I've been starting to get injured as well. But yeah, I suppose it's something you could do if you're short on time in the office. It's, it's a good one. Yeah, so something I think too, probably like different for players with your kind of golf IQ versus the average player, though, Adam, is that like a few times, you know, if, if you're, we've all done this, like you're caught for time. So you just land on the range, you have like 30 minutes and you start swinging. I just find that I'm making basically bad golf swings. I'm practicing things in my swing that I don't really want to be doing just because my body isn't prepared for the session. You know, it would be like trying to go and do a gym training session where you just, you don't have the time to warm up. You're never going to be able to approach like weights that are, you know, near your maximum to push your strength up or whatever. I know golf has a little bit more of a skill element, obviously. Yeah. I find that if you get out of the car and, and just start trying to hit your seven iron at the 165 flag, swings probably aren't going to be very good i don't know how much you get from it you know yeah i couldn't start with that even as only being 37 even in early 30s i couldn't just start out with a full swing there's no chance you know the only advantage of it is the swings are so bad the first swings are so bad that they're representative of the worst ones you would do on the course so you know my first warm-up swings will tend to be toey and hooky which is my bad pattern when it's on the course so luckily like you said i got the golf iq that i can change that quickly but many golfers don't have that ability yet until they get my Planets. I can tell you for sure if my body's not warm and I'll usually start with like 30, 40, 50 yard wedge shots, I almost all the time now blade the first three or four. <laughs> just like I can't feel like any sink in my body. Like the turn just feels so unnatural and tight that it's like, yeah, I'm just like you said, Mike, I'm hitting shots that are so unrepresentative of my skill and not giving me great feedback. But as you said, Adam, there's nowhere to go up from there. <laughs> What I do think is like something that happens as well, though, is like if you can implement one of these really simple mobility routines regularly, I think how long it takes you to get warmed up and ready to swing hugely decreases. I think you hold on to almost some of that mobility 
all the time, if you get me. Like there's going to be a big difference between someone who like never, ever does anything like physical and skips a warm up versus someone who does physical stuff pretty much every day and for whatever reason has to skip their warm up once. Like I think those people are going to be very different in terms of how they are when they go to swing without doing a warm up, basically, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's now early May. I, I think I've been investing 20 to 30 minutes daily now since November or December with mobility. And, you know, Mike, I've told you offline some of the, you know, not major injuries, but some lower back tightness and just some random stuff. And just, I hate to use the word disappear or fixed in anything, and especially golf. You but feel better. Yeah. Completely. I mean, in addition to the resistance training, I mean, we can do that in another episode as well, but just, really more confidence the body feels different not picking up those minor like pulls in the neck or like the lats or something like that which has happened i'm someone who can be totally impatient like probably many people listening to this and just show up to the range and start hitting and i've done that before especially on cold days and just tweaked a neck muscle and then all of a sudden the next three days are going to be very uncomfortable for me even though you're spending 20 or 30 like it's it's obviously nice you can do that literally if people spend three a day i started with five and i just kept working i just enjoy it like when i do it at night it's almost like a meditation for me so yeah i started with three or five minutes and then just worked my way up from there but yeah i mean there's like not to sound too sales pitchy there's no amount that's too small (laughs) talking about this reminds me of a guy i worked with at turnbury i think he was 78 and he just made us kids look so bad in terms of how fit he was and you know he could pick up these big heavy den caddies full of balls and never got injured and he, you know he showed us he could touch his toes and stuff i was like geez i can't do that stuff i said how do you do you go to the gym and he's like nope every day i just wake up and the first thing i do is i have a glass of water i have a biscuit and then i do some squats i do some arm circles basically stuff that he learned in the army that took him like two minutes to do and he said every single day i do that and he was the fittest guy i'd met for that age definitely and uh, you know he also said he used to jump on the weighing scale and his thing was if he was one pound heavier than normal he would eat a little less that day and if he was one pound lighter than normally he'd eat a little more and he said he's maintained the same weight for something like 40 years and i just thought that's genius it's so simple yet genius <laughs> yeah. he'd be a billionaire today if you had an instagram account Yeah. Yeah. You know where I feel it the most, which is like totally random, but just I know people live with like tightness and pain in their everyday life, but like putting on my socks in the morning, like something like that. Me too. Like I would wake up, you know, a year ago and I'd just be like, oh, that like did not feel good. And that's me now. Yeah. And I mean, like just that movement now, like I feel like I could put my hands like to the middle of the ground, no problem without any tightness in the lower back. And again, not a crazy amount of time, but I like what you're saying, Mike, is that the it's almost a twofold benefit if you start introducing this in the context of golf. Like, let's say you never did any mobility work at all or dynamic warmups. I guess that's the same thing, sort of. If you started adding it before your rounds, it's going to improve life elsewhere in addition to maybe getting that habit in your life and then you could start tacking it on to off the golf course as well but yeah i can't stress it enough how beneficial it can be and no matter what age you are seriously what's really nice with the mobility and warm-up stuff too is 
Like I understand that, like I preach resistance training probably more than anything else. I can understand with that, that there's, while low, there is still some barriers to doing it, you know, like equipment or even, and it's hard, like it takes effort and things like that. But the mobility stuff like doesn't require any energy and it doesn't require any equipment. Like you can literally do it, like you were saying, in an office, in a living room, in a locker room. And in like five minutes, you can completely transform your body's ability to carry out a certain activity. And if you can do that daily, it adds up and makes a huge difference. Like almost every conversation that I have about training and fitness can be brought back to the kind of simple principle that like our body is extremely adaptable. So if we do nothing, our body will get used to that and it won't be very good at at doing these obscure tasks that we ask of it. And like the golf swing is a pretty obscure task. It's a movement that, like I said, we don't get any practice at during the day. But if basically feed our body little signals of what we wanted to get better at regularly, it responds to that and gets better at them. And it's so easy to do that with really simple mobility and range of motion stuff. So I always want to plug your app because it's so helpful. You do have, I was just double checking it earlier. You do have some nice, a nice library of videos for warm up routines. You, you know, you had foam rolling, a bunch of different stuff that could be done. Now let's address the golfer who had that like the three to five minute window where they're just showing up to the course out of the car. If you had to design a very, or if you can explain it verbally, I know these are visual things where you can tell people to look up these movements, whether they're, I mean, you have a ton of these on your Twitter profile on Instagram and your website, but if you had to tell someone you've got three or four minutes, what do you do to give yourself the best chance of getting warm? Honestly, if I arrived at the golf course three or four, five minutes before my tea time and I'd done no like preparation at all for the round, I would skip all the physical stuff and start making practice swings. Really? Yeah. Because like, if you kind of like what we were talking about, what Adam's saying, you do get warm with enough practice swings. It's not ideal, but we get a chance to merge, like getting our body somewhat prepared for the activity ahead And we're also touching into like the coordination aspect of warming up. So if you arrived at the course and you literally had time to make like five three-quarter wedge swings, five seven iron swings, and five driver swings, and try and make decent swings with each one, that might take like two minutes or something. I think you'd probably get something out of that as opposed to like, I don't think if I only had three minutes i'd start doing like squats and toe touches and things like that especially if i was trying to play well in the round you know like if i was thinking about man i need to like hit a good tee shot here or whatever if i was just playing a mess around game with buddies or something and it was more injury prevention was my goal or if i had a body part that i knew was likely to get injured if i didn't warm it up properly then i might go more physical wise but for someone who doesn't really have a nagging injury that they're concerned about and they want to get through the first couple of holes without a train wreck on the scorecard, I just start making practice swings. I'd go like wedge, probably like seven iron driver, and maybe go through that twice and try and get a feel for the golf club in my hands, try and get some sense of of timing and rhythm. And obviously with that, you're going to make 15 to 30 swings and there will be some effect there on getting the muscles warm and loosened out and ready to go basically. 
even if you can't hit some golf balls, I've been where I've turned up and there's no range. And so making practice swings where you're focusing on brushing the grass, the right height. So, you know, digging a little bit deeper, a little bit higher, a little bit in between, you know, working on the coordination element as well as physically warming up by doing the act of the swings. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you had your, let's say, and my other theoretical question, if you wanted to do a three to four minute dynamic warm up, what are the top few bread and butter moves that you would prescribe to most players? Yeah. So I nearly always start with like a cat cow. People are probably familiar with that, like on your hands and knees, arching and rounding your spine as much as possible. Can you do that standing up? Because I know some people don't want to. You can do that up kind of against a wall. If you're just standing up. So if you get to the golf course or something, like the best way that I'd say is basically stand up. And like everybody's familiar with the toe touch where you lean forward and try and touch your toes. I would do the opposite where you try and lean back and basically reach your fingers behind your head and back as much as possible. So you could go like 10 of those. You could do like 10 squats. So now that's going to be your lower body getting a little bit active then a nice one for your hip rotation is hold a golf club out in front of you as a little bit of an anchor try and rotate your pelvis as far as you can in each direction maybe 10 reps each way but keep your torso or your chest pointed straight ahead so you're basically working on like some separation getting your hips mobilized and your obliques warmed up so pelvis is twisting torso is staying where it is Then I would do some like exaggerated, like full body turns where you're allowing your uh, hips, your torso move basically say together, just simulating getting as big a backswing turn as you can. I do that each side for maybe 10 reps. I would do like arm circles or shoulder circles where you basically swing your arms around 10 forwards, 10 backwards. And then I'd rotate my neck 10 right, 10 left. So that's toe touch with like a reach back as far as you can, squat, pelvis turn, torso turn, shoulder circles, neck rotations, six exercises, 10 reps of each. It's probably going to take like, I don't know, two or three minutes max. Like that would make a difference if you could do it every day for definite, try and gradually increase the range of motion that you're going through. That sounds pretty simple. (laughs) Not much to do there. I do see certain golfers doing that, but I also know so many golfers who just straight to the first tee with like nothing. And I'm like, ah, (laughs) it's scary sometimes. And I, I just, I've pulled a lot of things over the years. I think I'm mostly terrified of my performance on the course and I don't want to alter that. So that's what I'm always trying to protect against. And I don't like being in pain during the round or post round. So People are going to ask about post-round. What do I recommend for post-round workout routines? That was definitely going to be another question. Honestly, people try and overcomplicate this way too much. The exact same routine works perfectly. Like if somebody feels like a little bit stiff or sore after the round, just go through the routine you did again and have a hot shower. I don't think you'll get any further benefit from like static stretching after the round versus the dynamic stuff before the round. That's a theory that some people would say a lot of people will talk about like foam rollers or massage guns and stuff like that they're fine they might help a little bit but honestly i think your best bet is again go through the dynamic mobility stuff bring the joint through the full range of motion get the blood flowing and that's what i think would be best have a nice hot shower get plenty of food in get a good sleep like and kind of the the overarching thing here too is obviously that like warm-ups and cool-downs are the tip of the iceberg. 
get yourself in good shape by looking after your training during the week. Is there anything you would suggest? One question we did get on Twitter is during your round, if something, let's say maybe an acute pain pops up or you're just perhaps like waiting on the tee box for a while. I know there's plenty of situations where golfers are standing on the tee box waiting for a group to clear any value in doing anything on the golf course or is it like honestly if it was me i'd probably do practice swings if i was on like hole eight and there was a hold up and i didn't want to like stiffen up i'd probably do some swings like working on whatever feel that i'm using that day or i know this might be ill-advised for some players but if i've had a certain pattern for the first seven holes or six holes I might make some practice swings, you know, feeling like I want to have happen for the rest of the round, kind of basically doing a little bit of self-diagnosis. That's going to help you stay warm. Or if you think that that's kind of getting in your head too much, you can just do regular practice swings or pick a couple of the exercises you did in your pre-round warm-up that you like and are easy to do on the course and just cycle through a few of those. Here's another question I have personally, and I've just noticed... I hate to use pro golfers as an example, but I've seen you know guys lifting weights in the van or stuff like that. And I know we probably have people who do resistance training. Is there any worry to doing a heavy physical workout prior to your round? Let's say it's resistance training or even you know people who bike or run hard doing speed work with like super speed or the stack. I have been paranoid about resistance training. Like I don't want to go do a bunch of heavy bench presses and bicep curls on the day of a tournament or stuff like that. Any thoughts on that? You know what you should or shouldn't do before you play golf or is it kind of like depend on the person? I would say there is 100% concern to doing very hard physical exertion before you play an important round whether we do a hard run bike or lifting workout you're going to incur muscle damage that's a byproduct of intense exercise muscle damage is going to make you fatigue earlier on the course it's going to reduce your speed and power output it's going to make you more likely to get injured while you're playing and also there's a good chance that it's going to mess up your coordination a little bit I was just about to say that, yeah, I feel That's what scares me the most about resistance training is feeling like I lost my swing a little bit. So without getting like too sciency, there's kind of like two main elements to fatigue. There is, let's say, local fatigue. So if I do five sets of five squats as hard as I can before I go to the golf course, obviously my quads and hamstrings and glutes are going to be, you know, really, really fatigued and damaged. But there's also nervous system fatigue. That's fatigue in terms of signals from the brain sent to the muscles. And there's going to be some fatigue for probably like, so the muscle damage takes a lot longer to recover than nervous system. The nervous system probably still takes like a couple of hours or something like that. So yeah, like there is no logical reason or any argument that can be made for doing an intense training session, particularly one that has a lot of like sets and reps in it before you get to the golf course. What I will say is though, if your whatever way your schedule is that you're like, I play golf in the afternoon, I need to get my workout in in the morning or I don't get it done. You can modify your workout pretty well to reduce a lot of the negative effects. And what you would do is you'd first of all, reduce the number of sets that you do so that there's less fatigue being built up. 
And then the other thing that you would do is you would stay further away from failure in each of those sets because muscle damage tends to occur when we are doing reps where our effort is exceptionally high. So like we're trying to move the bar or whatever dumbbell we're using as hard as we can, but either because of the weight being heavy relative to our strength level or because we're tired because we've already done a lot of reps in that set and we're coming towards the end leads to the weight actually moving very slowly. That's when muscle damage tends to occur. So that could happen like if I'm doing, let's just say use the squat as an example. And if my five rep max is, let's just say 200 pounds, I could do three reps with 200 pounds and probably stay away from those last couple of grinding reps that will make a big difference in terms of the muscle damage picked up. And then if somebody usually does four or five sets of five reps at 200 pounds, they could simply do like two sets. So they've cut back on the volume and the proximity to failure. That will have a huge effect on how much and how little muscle damage is picked up. Obviously, that's going to make it difficult to get stronger because you're not really stressing yourself enough, but that can be exceptionally good for maintaining strength in season. And that's how a lot of the players I work with would approach that. What about the reverse? So like tomorrow I have an early tea time and I'd like to, my next workout is a nice heavy leg workout. I'm going to walk a six mile golf course tomorrow. That's pretty hilly decent amount of physical exertion should i be skipping that leg workout and doing it the next day or is that not as big of a deal so like it would kind of depend on priorities so there is a decent chance that your leg strength would be slightly reduced after your 18 holes of walking a hilly golf course probably nothing crazy especially if you had like a couple of hours between the two and you had a chance to get you know like a good meal in Uh, maybe like a cup of coffee, perk you up a little bit. But what I would say is that the effect that the golf would have on the leg strength is much less than the effect that the hard workout would have on your golf if the order was reversed. So the lesser of two evils would be to keep it after. Exactly. And I know that like you're more concerned with how you play for the 18 holes than having to take 10 pounds off your squat tomorrow evening. Sorry if those last two questions were hyper selfish, but (laughs) someone else listening to this has to be thinking that too. (laughs) And then deciding if you should wait to the next day. Well, what would depend then is like, okay, well, if you wait like until the next day, what's coming up after the workout then? Like, so let's just say if, if you're someone who is asking this question about a Friday, you have a Friday morning round, you have a workout scheduled for Friday afternoon, you know, your legs are going to be tired. You're doing a lower body workout. Should you skip the workout or should you just do it? Well, if you decide to move it to Saturday, you need to ask yourself what's happening after that workout on Saturday and what's happening on Sunday, because that's really the timeframes when there's going to be a lot of fatigue and potentially, you know, soreness or whatever left over if you move it to then. If there's nothing coming up, well, then maybe move it. But if you have another round on Sunday or Monday, well, then it might make sense to just get the workout done on Friday. So you've extra recovery time and extra sleep cycles before the next round pops up. Does that make sense? Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I'm just like calculating like Little League baseball games and kids' birthday parties in there, but I'm sure everyone else has their their scheduling conflicts. Adam, do you have any uh, further questions for Mike? We probably veered a little off topic there. 
No, I just I'm glad Mike touched on the workout and its effects on coordination. I know that I have in the past gone and done a heavy you know, to failure over and over and over workout and then gone and try to play golf. And my depth control is the first thing I notice that changes. So, you know, if I'm properly warmed up and in great physical condition, I can clip a penny off the top of another penny. Whereas, you know, if I've done a heavy workout, I just lose my balance, it feels like. But it's more of a brain thing. I just can't control that depth. Skill first, then physical. If if you need to balance them up on a day, skill work first, physical work later. You'll see that in in other sports, not just golf. Like if you've rugby players or soccer players, they're not crushing themselves in the gym, then going working on their first touch or their tight passing. You know what I mean? They'll do that in the morning. They'll go for lunch. Then they'll work out. Then they'll eat again. Then they'll go to sleep. I had a, I'll admit to this publicly, it's kind of funny, but I had a freak out maybe, it was probably like three weeks ago. I probably did a very intense upper body workout to failure, like really pushed it hard. I think I went to my son's little league game and then I tried to hit some golf balls at like 730 at night while my kids were showering and I could not feel the golf club. And I started striking it in a place on my irons and fatting it that I'd never done before. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, did you lose it? Like what's going on here? And then it persisted to the next day. And I like got me into a cold sweat, but how hard I'd pushed my muscles had really changed. And it's one of the reasons I've been kind of not scared of resistance training, but avoiding it during the season. I think I've settled on a better balance now, but it really did that same day mess with my golf swing tremendously to the point where my patterns were almost unrecognizable. Yeah. Something too, like this is a topic we won't dig into too much because it's, it's like something that would require a bit more discussion. But if we just remember too, like when we're physical training for golf, really what we're trying to improve is power output. And we could do that without going to muscle failure in our training sessions. So we can focus more on moving weights at really, really high speeds and that would be exceptionally good for improving our ability to produce power. We can do that without ever going to the point of like really, really slow grinding reps, big pump in our muscles, feeling like jelly afterwards, tons of soreness. We don't need to do that. While there is benefits to it, especially in like the off season, because those types of reps help us make our muscles bigger and bigger muscles end up being stronger muscles which can produce more power, but we can look at power from another angle and focus on moving moderate weights as quickly as possible. When weights are moving really quickly, there's very, very little muscle damage is incurred. So you can definitely do that the day before or maybe even the morning of around the golf if you had to and have a much different effect to doing, you know, your your bodybuilding super pump workout where you're going really close to failure. That's that's where training periodization becomes really important. And that's how I would alter my training week if I was playing important rounds of golf. And that's what the pros do too that I work with. They end up doing the same weight that they do in their off weeks, but they do less sets, less reps, and focus on moving the bar as quickly as possible. And then when they go back to an off week, they still have essentially moving that weight in their system. They haven't deconditioned from it then they can pump back up the reps and the sets a little bit and see if there's room for more weight. But they won't do reps in a tournament week, especially close to the tournament, where they're grinding on a rep close to failure because the payoff's not worth it. Like we can get pretty much all the benefits of resistance training 
without going all the way to failure. And going all the way to failure doesn't produce that many more benefits, but it makes a huge difference to the amount of recovery time needed in terms of like muscle, but also what Adam touched on, like that coordination stuff. So what you're saying, Mike, is that... 12 rep max bench press to failure on the first tee is probably the worst warm-up that you can do. Probably then. not ideal. And what's funny actually is, so the gym that I used to work in, Hanson Fitness for Golf in Irvine, we had a gym, obviously, and there was also a net that you could hit in and we had a Skytrack set up there. And like, it was so obvious that sometimes like just messing around, people sometimes be like in the middle of their workout, the Skytrack might be free. So like they might've just done a set of like pull-ups or something. And then they try and swing an aid iron and they just laugh. They're like, oh man, like I barely know where my arms are. Probably break you know? the sky so That's track. an extreme example. But if you just delay that by a couple of hours and drive to the golf course, it's not all going to be dissipated. But during COVID, I moved my gym work indoors. And I've got a darts board upstairs as well. So I would do some flies, some bench presses, maybe some pull-ups. And in between sets, I'd go and throw some darts. And I now was you have holes all now over I'm a, I'm a pretty decent darts <laughs> player. Yeah, I can hit the number. I'm pretty close to the treble that I want. But after a, a set of pull-ups, I'd sometimes miss the board the first few times. <laughs> so it really does affect your coordination. And, and golf... I know we think of golf as this big motor movement, which it is, obviously, but there's such a fine motor skill as well in golf, and uh, those will get deeply affected. Really important for people to notice there or to understand there too, though, because sometimes people pick things up differently or they're only kind of half listening. Those coordination issues are very acute, transient, short-term coordination issues. Like we're not saying that it's going to mess up your coordination the next day or two days later, or three days later, so that you shouldn't resistance train because it's bad for your coordination. You just shouldn't resistance train right before you go and play or practice because there's a short period where you're in big time fatigue and recovery mode that it will be affected. It'd be an interesting study to see, do a heavy set or a few heavy sets and then do a, an exercise that requires coordination and do it, you know, immediately after, one hour after, two hours after and see, you know, darts would be a great example of that. I mean, yeah, I might do that. I'm sure there probably is some, especially in sports where like physical training is a big part of the preparation, obviously in darts, like the physical capabilities required are are pretty nil, but I'm sure they've tried it in like, I don't know, soccer or tennis or something like that, you know? I'm going to do this myself, yeah. I remember in college, I used to, we'd go to the gym, we'd weight train and then play basketball. It took like 10 minutes of shooting just to get like the post-workout like bizarreness out of my shot. That's one of the reasons I avoided weight training during golf season for so long. But now I don't, aside from that kind of funny story I told earlier, it's not having a detrimental effect on my golf swing whatsoever. To be honest here, though, like what we're talking about here in terms of like fatigue, because that's what happens after an intense workout is muscular and, and central fatigue affecting our coordination. That's the exact same thing that happens at the end of a long range session where you start losing it. And you're like, OK, it's time to shut it down today. Like we've all experienced that on the range, like where you've been working on something you've gotten to a point where, OK, it feels good. And then after a while, it's like, oh, man, I just can't make that move anymore. And then we stop. That's the same thing. It's fatigue interrupting our coordination. But what's cool is that we also know that that kind of point of where you get to where like you're really trying to work on it or maybe change something and you're like, man, I can't really do it anymore. This is sort of hard. That's the stimulus 
like to change what's going on in the brain. And then when we go and rest and sleep and come back the next time, those adaptations have taken place. And that's why we're a little bit better, basically. That's where proper periodization comes in. And, you know, I'm sure you do with all your clients doing the right things at the right time. You might want to do certain points in the week, more maintenance work. And then certain points in the week is like, right, we're far enough away from a competitive round. Let's go at this workout hard. Yeah, it's similar to my own stuff in skill work. You know, there's certain things like technical work that might be more disruptive. And so we might do that farther away from a round of golf. Whereas as you get closer to important rounds of golf, you might do things more like simulation, which are much less disruptive. Exactly. I do have one more question on foam rolling, because I know you mentioned it earlier. Is that good to do before a, a warm up or before a round of golf? Or are you not a fan of it? Is it more post-workout? No, so like... Where I would position foam rolling is if someone has a particular movement or area that is troublesome for them. So let's just say, for example, a good one would be someone struggles with external rotation in their right shoulder, which is kind of like a common, I suppose, area that people who are interested in improving their golf swings focus on now. And they find that by using, if you're going to do something for like your rear shoulder, you'd probably use like a lacrosse ball or a tennis ball or something like that because it's easier to get into the area. You probably use a foam roller for like your quads and hamstrings and stuff. But what people might notice is that by doing, let's say, a minute or two minutes of rolling the ball around their sort of rear shoulder, around their shoulder blade and all these areas, they might then find that when they go and do their shoulder mobility exercises, that the range of motion is slightly greater than if they hadn't used the rolling. And if we can over time be doing reps of our mobility drills with a greater range of motion, there's going to be a better chance that that range of motion sticks and that we improve it more in the long run. But I don't think that like foam rolling or using a lacrosse ball on its own, separate to doing mobility drills, will have much long-term effect. Because what I think is likely happening, the mechanisms are pretty difficult to understand in foam rolling and not really that well explained. I definitely don't buy that they're like breaking down adhesions and scar tissue and like actually changing the tissue much. What I think they're doing is whatever way that the pressure is working, similar to like massage, I think it's maybe like relaxing the nervous system to control over the area a little bit which then lets us go a little bit further in our mobility exercises, which has benefits in the long run. So if you were going to use it, if you have a, a troublesome area, I'd look at like rolling it for like a minute or something, then going straight into like an active range of motion exercise for that area. I have one of those foam rollers with the teeth in it. And when I do some stuff at night, I do kind of like the thoracic spine stuff on the upper half of my back. And it just, yeah, you know, I do it for a minute or two. It feels good. It kind of relaxes me. Again, I don't know if it's working any magic, but I just throw it in there. It's kind of fun for me. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not doing anything like negative for mobility, I would say. But to get the most out of it, I think you'd want to take advantage of the short-term improvements in mobility it gives you and basically try and make it stick by doing an active exercise where your brain is forced to bring you through the range of motion you're trying to improve. Absolutely. Yeah, I am. I think I'm doing several other movements that are working on that area, but I just started doing it. And I'm like, I kind of like this. So I threw it in there and yeah, that's only a minute or two. The issue that comes with foam rolling is that people, in my opinion and experience, they get very reliant on it and 
think that they need it every time before they do something, but it's way less important or valuable than actual movement. Yeah, I think it would get boring after a while, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> I would have it like as a very small piece of the kind of overall training pie, whereas some people like get very, very attached to their rolling, so much so that it definitely interferes with the time they could be spending on other stuff and not really getting much benefit from it. Like if you find that you feel like you need to be rolling out the same spot like every day before you go and do something, I think there's probably something going on there that you'd want to investigate further because the rolling isn't curing your issue, you know. Well, now you've insulted the foam rolling community. <laughs> I often like, sometimes I don't look at it too often, but you retweet so much stuff on Twitter about, you know, studies that are very helpful. And sometimes I'll just click around stuff and see people arguing over like topics like, should you foam roll? Should you do this? And I'm just like, oh my God, I can't take this. It's like, so I would say like, definitely don't be afraid of using one. Don't expect like miracles from it. And the best way to incorporate it would be put some of the pressure from the roller on a troublesome spot, then try and take advantage of that short-term improvement in range of motion that it gives you by doing a range of motion drill. And that will have a better chance of actually helping it stick. All right. Well, we've covered a lot. We appreciate your time. I hope the main takeaway is that I was so happy to hear that only three to five minutes of a few movements can have long lasting benefits on and off the golf course. And at 15 minutes at most, if someone really wanted to go for it is really all they need. I think some people were expecting like an hour, which seems to be diminishing returns from what you said. Yeah, for sure. An hour is a reasonably long workout. 15 minutes is plenty to get you prepared for an activity. Awesome. Adam, do you have any uh, other questions for Mike? Yeah, what about capping pre-round? I'm, <laughs> I'm joking. No, I'm good. We've talked for an hour and 15, about a three-minute warm-up. So, yeah, I think we've covered everything. <laughs> a classic sweet spot activity. We talked for two hours yesterday, Mike, about spin. <laughs> We're going to break it up into 17 episodes, though, so people can digest it. Mike, do you have any closing statements in this imaginary trial? No, I think just if people can just write down or find online a basic full body dynamic mobility routine that you can do in like five minutes or less and just start doing it daily. If it's too long or too complicated, you just won't keep doing it. So just find something that's short that hits the spots you want and just do it regularly. Like there will be improvements. It's not complicated. Just needs to be done regularly. Do you have that available as your product? Okay, there we go. Plug it. Yeah. In the app, there's a section labeled warm up routines. There's nine different ones. They're all 10 minutes or less. I kind of categorized it so that I have like some that are suitable if you have, you know, some floor space at home because there might be some exercises on the ground. But then I have one that like you just use a golf club so that if you're at the golf course or the range and you're just trying to warm up and you obviously don't want to be lying down or kneeling down on the ground, there's one if you have a resistance band, simple stuff like that. And where can people find your app? Where's the best place for them to go? Just go to my website, fitforgolf.blog. There's an, a tab there for the app. They can sign up and download it. And even if anyone who has a Twitter account just goes on Twitter and searches at fit underscore four underscore golf and then follows that by warm up, like I've probably posted 50 different variations of exercises you can use in your warm up and they can find them there. I don't think anybody ever uses the search function on Twitter, but it's actually really, really helpful if you learn how to use it. It is. And definitely 
you know, Mike's app is extremely valuable for a number of workouts, even beyond just the warm up. I mean, that's probably the smallest part of your app. You've got so much stuff in there on increasing swing speed, mobility, explosiveness, strength, all stuff that can help your golf swing and your overall health. And honestly, that would be my closing statement too, is just find something that you get so comfortable with and so used to that you can do every day. And just, it just kind of goes on autopilot. Like when I'm doing my thing in the morning, like I could be thinking about something else and the routine is so familiar to me that it's just part of my routine now and it's it's been very helpful. So you don't need to do 50,000 different exercises, just find a few good bread and butter ones that you can do every day and it's it's been super beneficial for me. So yeah, Mike, thanks for your time and we'll definitely have you on. I would love to talk about mobility with you and particularly hip mobility. I seem to be obsessed with lately. So we'll definitely have you on for different topics that I know can help people. Okay, perfect. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Thanks. All right, Adam, I'm going to start with you. Where can they find you, Adam? AdamYoungGolf.com. You can look at all my programs there, which are geared more towards skill development, technique development, and concept development. And John, where can people find you? You can find me at practical-golf.com and get my book, The Four Foundations of Golf. I actually have some information from Mike in there that I think is helpful that he taught me. So check that out. And we appreciate everyone listening in and we will see you next time.